0: Gracie, you could probably do it too. I don't know. Just, just make the kids follow you. Hey Dan, just as a side note. That malfunctioned on Wednesday, like it didn't record. So just keep an eye on it. Okay. All right. I feel like we're forgetting something, but we're just gonna we're just gonna truck along. All right. Yes. I am. Oh yeah, the board board members. Uh, we need you f- five minutes after service. That's what it was. I I hope. Still feels like something, but we'll go from there. Okay, I'm gonna take off my hat. This is hot in here. All right, turn your Bibles to um, John chapter, or excuse me, First John chapter three. I'm gonna share with you some good news. If you're here Wednesday, you already heard this, but um, you guys know Pete and Tish. Pete and Tish had their baby on Tuesday. <laughs> Woo! Beautiful, healthy uh, boy. Anthony Jack Gilardi is his name, and uh, we had a, I had a chance to hold him the other day, so neener, neener. Uh, it was pretty awesome. Um, super healthy, super strong. Mom's doing great. I actually went to go visit them on Thursday, and just Pete was home. I'm like, where's Tish? Oh, she's out running an errand. Are you kidding me? She's had a baby? She's out running an errand? My goodness. All that to say, uh, we rejoice that, uh, you know, they're not the only ones having a baby, or that have had a baby. Courtney's probably next. Courtney and Sam, they're having a baby boy as well. What's that? Seven, ten? How many is that now? Four and a half. <laughs> Four and a half. Good. Just as long as you're keeping track, we'll, we'll help you out. But just keep. So they're expecting their fourth boy. So if you want to pray for Sam, pray for Sam and pray for Courtney as, as well. She's greatly outnumbered in that family. Um, they're having a baby. Jen and Ben are having a baby boy as well. They're, she's due, I think, after that. And then Mikel, I don't see her, but she's she's having a baby and I think she's having a boy as well. Dan's raising his hand. I think he's having a boy. No? Okay. Oh, he's just stretching. Don't stretch when I say stuff like that. It's too easy. But we are super uh, excited that, you know, there's, you know, there's ways to grow churches. I guess that's one of them. Um, it's just really a, a time for us to rejoice as a pastor. I love it. It's great to see families just growing. And, uh, you know, the Bible speaks of how uh, children are a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is a man who has a quiver full of them. And, and, and Ben and Sam and, and Courtney and, and Jen, you guys have a quiver full. And, and we, we just, we as a church, we have a quiver full. And that's really awesome. Um, but there's something about a baby. When a baby's born... Um, I mean, there's so many awesome reasons to love children. I love babies. I love kids. Every age is awesome and special. But there's there's that time when they're born where there's that sense of wonder and awe of who will this child become? What will they? What will they be? You know, will this will this boy grow up to be a man who you know loves sports? Will he be intellectual? Will he be both? Will he be musically inclined? Will he you know uh, be quiet and reserved? Will he be uh, very outspoken? You know, you're hoping he's going to be nice. You know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a girl. You know, what will she grow up to be? Will she want to be a mom? Will she, uh, she want to have a career? Will she want to do both? I mean, they're, they're, you just think and ponder and, and, and wonder and dream about what these children will be. Here's the thing you never dream about, the na- thing you never ponder, whether or not they are yours. That baby comes and you hold them for the first time and you're like, this, this is flesh of my flesh. This is my child. There's nothing else on this planet as precious to me than this life I hold in my hands. There's this, there's this great tension. We, I don't know what this baby will become. I don't know what he or she will grow to be, but I know one thing, they are mine. This child is a gift, a blessing, and this child belongs to me. And I will never, as much as is in my power, leave or forsake this child, you know, nothing screams the gospel louder than the birth of a baby, than a child being born, especially to us dads. When the Bible speaks of God being a father and then we become a father, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you allowed me to have that same role, to, to have a, just a, a glimpse or a glimmer of what it's like for you to be you. Not that we're godlike, but that we get to be, we get to be a father to somebody else. We get to, to, to put our lives down, lay our lives down for another human being. And so, dads and moms, you know, never lose sight of the fact that 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 is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing you will ever do, is raise the children that you've been given, whether they were born uh, naturally or whether they were adopted. They are your children. And and you were expected to raise them and to care for them and to lay down your lives for them. In the same way that Christ laid down his life for the church, we lay down our lives for our families. If you ever wondered why your dad did a, a crummy job for so many years, it's probably because he really liked feeding you and clothing you and, and keeping you warm. And it was it was a willing sacrifice on his part to do that for you. If your mom did the same thing, you know, maybe she stayed at home and, and didn't pursue a career in one of her talents, but she, she looked at you and thought, man, you're worth so much more than that. I'd much rather pour my life into you than, than a career that'll last me just 20 or 30 years. You know, never lose sight of the fact that your mom and dad did that for you, and moms and dads, that we, we recognize you're doing that. But I share that with you because it's this, it's this shadow of what ja- uh, excuse me, what John is talking about, of us being children of God but yet there's still this change to come. There's this now and not yet reality that we exist in. We have been saved, we have been changed, but yet there's, there's more to come. What we know now and what we see right now, the Bible says, is in part. Meaning, it's kind of like we're looking through a mirror that's all smudged and, and not really clear. We, we can see a silhouette, we can see some detail, but we can't see everything. The Bible says, Jesus, we see him like through a mirror dimly and, and there's coming a day where we'll see him as he is to be seen or, or we'll see him exactly as he is, but that day is not today. We have seen him as much as he has been revealed and he will no, be no more revealed than he is right now in this moment. There is no new revelation about Jesus that we cannot find in his word. Now, it might be new to you today, What I mean is there might be things you have yet to experience. You might receive revelation and you'd be like, oh my gosh, and you go to your friends, did you know this about Jesus? Did you know that the Bible says this? Oh my, I've never, I've read it a thousand times or I've never seen it before. And I just, there it was and I read it and it's just, it's wrecking me, man. It's just wrecking me. And your friends will say one of two things. "Uh, Yeah, I've read that a thousand times. Where have you been? Or, no, I, I've never seen I've never seen that. Show me. What are you talking about? Let's make some sense of this. So for you, it might be new, but the Bible speaks of Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. The writer of Hebrews says, look, listen, hold fast to the apostles' teaching because the apostles' teaching and the consistent teaching of the Gospels has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we run into new revelation or new this or new that, we always put it through that filter or that lens. Is it new to the scriptures? Well, then we kind of back off a little bit. Is it new to us? But the scriptures confirm it or affirm it or prescribe it or describe it? Then we're like, okay, let's get into this. Let's talk about it. For us, there is this there is this knowledge that is solid and concrete coupled with this mystery. Mystery that that's unsolvable, unrevealing or unrevealed. Let's read 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That's where we get our title from tonight, or today. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself, as He is pure. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, Your Word is amazing. Your Word's awesome. We're not here to improve upon it, to edit it. We're not here to change it. We're not here to uh, to make it more palatable or or to water it down, Lord. We want it. We want it full force, everything you got, with all the questions, with all the the uh, with all the uh, you know confusion it might bring in the sense that we're we're learning really fast, Lord. We know that in you there is no confusion, so you will bring that sort of steady, constant stream of knowledge to us, Lord, and we thank you for that. Your word tells us to to pray for wisdom and that you will give it to us because you are so uh, gleefully uh, available to give us that wisdom. And so, Father, we praise you for that. We thank you for that, and we seek that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And so, uh, our modern world takes that and says, okay, we're all, we are all children of God. And they misconstrue, where they, they kind of mix together two truths of the Bible that we find that uh, we're not here to alter, we're just here to clarify, we're kind of here to untangle them. One is that we are made in the image of God. Imago Dei is the Latin uh, phrase for that. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that we were made in the image of God. Male and female, we were created. And so every person who's ever been born bears that that mark or that uh, really ownership of God on them. When Jesus is asked, you know, should we pay taxes? Um, Jesus tells the the guys asking the question, pull out a Roman coin. They pull out a Roman coin. Whose mark or whose face is on that coin? Caesar's. And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. And the way that a, a coin bears the, the mark uh, of somebody, maybe the person who minted it, or uh, you know, like in our country, a president or a founding father, uh, we are stamped, we are imprinted with that image of God. But the problem is the fall of man in Genesis 3 skews that, taints it, just just breaks it. If it were that coin, it's like Two-Face from Batman. It's the other side with the, with the scratches all over it that that now mar that image. And so God, in his, uh, just in his awesomeness and his love for us, that agape love, pours out that love through his son Jesus, who comes to the earth, dies on our behalf, so that we might not just be cleaned up, but changed to be brand new. This is where we become the children of God. In the same way that maybe you would go to an orphanage and you would adopt a child and then that child comes into your home, they now bear your last name, they're now a part of your family. It's not, you know, the Smiths and that little boy that follows them around. It's now the Smiths just got bigger. They're just a new family now. They got a new family member and he or she is just as much a part of that family as everybody else. That same imagery is what's used in the Bible to speak of us as children of God. We were once orphans, spiritually dead, but made alive in Christ, now adopted, brought into his fold and part of his family. We are no longer are abandoned. We no longer are forsaken. We are now connected to eternally Christ as we are in Christ. It's an important phrase of the New Testament, being in Christ. It means being enveloped by, being, in the same way you put a letter in an envelope, that's how we must be in Christ, enveloped by him completely. And so the Bible speaks greatly of us being now children of God. That's who you are now if you have placed your faith in Christ. Now, if you placed your faith in Christ, you know, 10 years ago, you walked an aisle, went to an altar, got to your knees and shed some tears, and, and you gave your life to Christ. That, that's, I, I'm not taking anything away from that moment. But when we speak of giving your life to Christ, we're talking about um, giving it over and then staying there. Walking with Christ, maybe not successfully, maybe, you know, you're stumbling along the way, you're, you're like a blind guy in a dark room trying to find a light switch. You're just doing the best you can, but, but by golly, you are working your, 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 everything you've got, working as hard as you can to stay in that committed relationship with Christ. It wasn't merely a choice, it was a choice that spurred a lifestyle change, a, a brand new life, a transformed life. And if you made that commitment, but you haven't seen that transformation, go back to the commitment. Go back to square one. Start there. And where we start at square one is the fact that you are a child of God. You are brand new. First John chapter 3, verse one. We just read it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are in the gospel of john chapter 1 verse 12 it says but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god in galatians chapter 3 verse 25 says but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in christ jesus you are all sons of god or children of god through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all in uh, excuse me for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise Romans 8 and 14 says for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Lastly, in Romans 9 and 8, it says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. This is just a sampling, just a smattering of of the scriptures that go on and on about us being the children of God. And notice that in interwoven in all of that are words like faith, words that go back to uh, suffering with Christ. Th- there is no becoming a child of God without being in the family of God. And in this, I don't speak of the church, although the church is involved. What I mean is, you do not have The father without the son, you do not have sonship without the father. There is no division. We cannot be a child of God and not be a part of this Jehovah God family that we belong to. What we are now is all by faith in what Christ has done for us. You know, as a practical person, I really want something tangible to do. I was I was up really late last night, and, and before it sounds like I'm 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 humble bragging I'm not I had coffee like at ten and then I couldn't sleep, and after playing video games and after reading and after you know watching TV and talking to my wife via text because she's out of town just all these different things I was like okay well I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and read some more, and and I was praying and I was like oh can I do something else like I, I feel like I'm just talking Lord can I just like punch a wall or split some wood? Can I do something tangible? And the Bible brings us to this place where we must completely trust that it's not our efforts that make God do something. Sometimes God is preached or taught as this God who's lazy and on in his easy chair or his, his lazy boy, and, and, and we've got to get it, get him going. Come on, God, you can do it get up. Come on. If you just, if you just get up, you can do it. If you just get up there and do something, then, then everything will change. And then eventually God's like, okay, I guess so. I was getting up anyways. As as though, as though we need to motivate the Lord. We've got to be his life coach. We've got to go in and, and we've got to make sure that, you know, he's feeling good. And come on, God, you can do it. I know there's that whole, you know, the Israelites abandoned you and they forsaked you and you had to do a bunch of stuff. But Come on, we we love you. You can do it. And so he's like this, this puppy that's like, oh, I just want to, Earn the favor of my people. It's a really weak God. If that's your vision of God or your version of God, um, you have a very weak God, and I would suggest you get a new God. I suggest the God of the Bible, the one who's um, sovereign, meaning he works independently of what we might desire. And when our desires line up with his desires, then prayers are answered. When, when we begin to desire what he wants, then things start to change. Then our lives start to change. And we can pray, and there are times of great grace and mercy. Well, God will do things, and I don't understand the mathematics of it. I'm just going to be real, real, real blunt with you. When God does something, but it would appear as though he wanted to do something else. I mean, we see that in the scriptures with Moses. And, but then there's his sovereignty and his, his omnipotence, and he knows what's going to happen. And All I know is this. We are given, through being a child of God, this great right and privilege to go into his presence and talk to him. Converse with him. Make requests known for him. To pray for ourselves, for our families, for our church, for our nation. To make supplication. That's the word that the Bible uses. To make supplication for uh the people who, you know, maybe can't pray for themselves or just need to know that you're praying with them. We have a family friend right now who's in Iraq. She's at a field hospital caring for people who have been attacked by ISIS. And we've told her, we'll pray for you. Like, are you kidding me? You're going to Iraq? Like, have you seen the things? And, and, you know, for the person who's called to do something like that, the fear gets quenched really quick. And they go. And it's not our job to be fearful for them. It's our job to stand behind them and to pray for them. But I digress. What, I, what I'm saying is, we have become the children of God Now. And what that does is that estranges us or alienates us from the rest of the world. We're no longer a part of them. Now we share some commonalities. We all breathe oxygen. We eat food a little too much. We watch television. I mean we we, we walk upright. I mean we share some commonality with the world. There is some common ground. We're not completely alienated from them. But since we have joined Team Jesus, now things have changed. We have been estranged. We have been alienated from the world. Have you ever done anything remotely Christian? You're not trying to do it. Just, it just comes out. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. And you have a non-Christian friend just look at you like you've had, like you have two heads. And there's like, I don't get you. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, I understand that you don't get me. We as the church, we need to understand that the the, the world will never look to us and say, hey. You're cool. You, you're so trendy. You're, the, you're, you're everything we want to be to the world, to the unsaved people, to the folks who are still dead in their sin. They will not see us as attractive, nor should we try to be attractive, meaning let's dress up Jesus to make him more palatable to the world. I think nothing drives away the world faster than trying to make Jesus hip or cool or whatever adjective you want to use. Just, what does change the world is when we live faithfully to Christ. I heard a story about a, a, an Egyptian man who was a missionary to a, a Muslim country and this Muslim man gave his life to Christ. And so the missionary one day is, is there together And he says, so which one of my sermons got you? The the Egyptian missionary says. And and the Muslim says, what? He's like, yeah, which sermon was it that, you know, where you uh, you gave your life to Christ? What what message was it that I gave you? And he was like, it was none of your messages. You're a horrible preacher. And so uh, the Egyptian's taken back. And he's like, well, then what happened? He's like, I watched you live every day. I saw Jesus change you. I saw the difference in you that I didn't see in the rest of the world. And so if we spend our efforts just living for Christ instead of trying to make Christ more fashionable or to fit the world that's rejecting him, we'll have our efforts better spent because, yeah, bless you. Um, Do that again though, you're on your own. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, The world has now, there's this line that's been drawn. Now, this doesn't mean that we have an excuse to mistreat the world, to look down upon the world, this should fuel our evangelism. Oh my gosh, my neighbor, my friend, my co-worker, should they perish today, they would go and stand before God without Jesus. I read a story, and I shared this last week, and because it really just wrecked me, a man died from botulism after eating tainted nachos from 7-Eleven. Which, if you're eating nachos from 7-Eleven, you're a risk taker anyways. Like, you probably understand, like, yeah, that's, that's how I live, you know? I roll, I roll kind of hard like that. But who wakes up one day thinking, you know what? I'm going to die because I ate nachos today. There are a few things on the face of this planet as good as nachos. And I'm not talking about, like, your fancy, you know, New York City restaurant with your nine cheeses. And I'm talking about just corn chips, with cheese sauce. And you know, I use, when I say the word cheese, I'm saying C-H-E-E-Z. Because if I use the other word, it, it would imply that there's actually cheese in there. But no, this is, this is like just baseball food. This is going to, you know, we went to go see the, the Crunch play a few years back, and I was so excited because we got nachos. It was just fun. Nobody thinks I'm gonna eat these nachos and then I'm gonna get sick and die. Certainly that man didn't. But the Bible speaks about how, you know, our days are numbered and our days, uh, you know, we're like the milk in the fridge. We have an expiration date. One day we're done and we don't know that day. We hope it's not today and we hope it's as many days as we possibly could have, but we don't know that day. And your friends and your family and your coworkers they don't know that day. And so we must be busy sharing the gospel both by our words and by our deeds. If we're only doing one or the other, it's incomplete. If we're only living for Christ and using words if necessary, you're not actually saving anybody. They might see you, but they've got to see, they've got to hear that profession. Because the Bible speaks about how faith is increased by hearing, by hearing the gospel preached, by hearing the gospel told. And one of the best things you can say is, look, here's the message, and I'm horrible at it. I'm a hypocrite. I am the worst. But this is the truth, and this is what wrecks me all the time. This is what keeps me on my knees. It's not about, you know, doing all these pious things so God approves of me. It's realizing, man, God's perfect. I'm not, but when I'm in him, I'm forgiven. Those things have changed and I'm different now. And the world's not gonna understand that short of the Holy Spirit getting a hold of them. And so that's what we pray. Lord, open their eyes. Lord, help us, you know, help us to be a good witness. When we, when we fail, help us to still glorify you in some way. You know, to this day, we read about the failures of men like David and, and Jesus is still glorified. I pray that my failures are used in that way because God can pick a lot of, I mean, there's a lot to pick from. It's, he doesn't have to look very far to find a failure to try to glorify himself through. And if we thought that we could live a perfect life so Jesus would be glorified, we're gonna be, you know, waiting for a long time. And so I see why God must use our failures because that's kind of all he has to work with sometimes. So right now, If you have placed your faith in Christ, uh, you've placed all your eggs in his proverbial basket. My best illustration about uh, faith that's saving is the story of the man who's going to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope and he's got a wheelbarrow and he tells his friend, do you think I can do this? And, And the friend says, yes. And so wheelbarrow man says, well, then get in the wheelbarrow. That's faith. Faith says, I believe what you say you can do and yet you're going to do it. We as Christians, we don't believe that by faith that God will do things. We believe that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins, that he is every bit God, every bit man, the propitiation for our sins, that he's returning again, that there is no other way to, to God the Father than through the Son, that we've been filled by his Holy Spirit to, uh, to go out into the world and to do the good works he's called us to do. We, we believe that there's a literal hell and a literal heaven. We believe that sin is bad, eternity is a long time, and that God is good. That's all happening now. If you've done that, you're a child of God now. There's no sign up, there's no, there's no waiting process. We have a friend who's waiting on a visa, and they're like, really waiting. And I'm like, man, look, there is none of that process here. We just we, we give our life to Christ and born again. Brand new creation, the Bible says. But that's not it. That's not everything. There's a not yet aspect to our walk with Christ. Verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Apparently, we will be changed at some point. But why do we have to be changed? Aren't we, you know, we've been born again. Isn't isn't this enough? Well, the Bible speaks a lot about who we are um, right this minute. Not just being a child of God, but there's also a problem with us. It's called the flesh sometimes the flesh is an easy scapegoat. Oh, it was just my flesh. Oh, I was just fleshing out. Oh, you're so fleshy. You know, you, maybe you've heard that before, and, and when I hear that, I just kind of cringe a little bit. I'm like, you just, your flesh is really convenient to have around when you do something fleshy. But the truth of the matter is that we are still inhabiting, uh, inhabiting a flesh that is tainted and marred and bent towards sin. If, if the flesh were a compass, it's got a crooked needle always pointing to bad. Our hearts are continuously evil, the Bible says, looking for sin to do. If you've ever wondered why, how can't I kick this habit? It's because your heart wants to do that thing. It feels good, it satisfies you in some way, but it always comes with the side effects and the hangover that sin always has. <clears throat> no one has ever found a way to beat that short of giving their life to Christ. And so John says, we're God's children now, but what we are going to be, what we are going to be has not yet appeared. says that we will be changed. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 goes into great lengths about this. Paul spends a great deal of time there. Um, so much so in chapter 15 that it's like 60 some odd verses long. It's a big chapter. I'm only going to read six. So for those of you who are sweating, just hang in there. It's only six verses. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Excuse me, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written and Paul begins to quote I believe Exodus and Leviticus death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting if you're a Bible nerd or you're just a nerd in general where you like things that kind of are formulaic or A equals B, or, you know, you do A, B happens. This chunk of scripture is very much like that. There is no real, like, wondering what Paul is talking about. He says our body is is corrupted, so it's got to be changed. And so in the process of of death, in this change that's instantaneous, this twinkling of an eye, he says, that we go from imperishable, excuse me, perishable to imperishable. We go from being uh, mortal to immortal, finite to infinite, limited to eternal. We must do so because our tainted flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's it's as though the door to heaven, and I'm using a metaphor, Bible doesn't say this, but just for analogy's sake, the door to heaven is smaller than our frame. We just simply cannot fit. This flesh does not fit in that doorway. And so we have to be changed to be able to be uh, be able to withstand really what amounts to be the awesomeness of Christ, to be in his presence. Think about this. Moses, Moses asked to see God. And what did God say? You know, go hide in that rock, you know, hunker down, I'm going to walk past you. When I walk past, look at the back of my head. Moses is like, okay. Like I'd settle for the back of God's head. It seems like it's pretty awesome. I can't tell that story, but Moses can. But now picture him on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus face to face. Can you imagine the joy of being in the presence of his Lord and his God? The one that he prophesied would come after him. When you read the last words of Moses, Moses spoke of one who would come like him in his manner, but would liberate not just from Egypt, but liberate from sin, Satan, and death. And there he was standing face to face with him, having a meeting, seeing Jesus changed in all of his glory. The disciples, Peter, James, and John, watching this and in awe and thinking, oh my gosh, we gotta build a, a temple here. We gotta build a tent here. We gotta, have, we gotta have a revival here. This is a holy place. And it's like, no, you know, where Jesus is, that's where the holy place is. Paul says, when that, ha- when that change happens, when, we, when it clicks over from mortal to immortal, then the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your, where is your sting? Uh, that will come to pass. He says, this is a mystery. When the Bible speaks about mystery, most often the mystery is revealed to us. It's like, it's like me coming to you and saying, hey, let me tell you something really complicated by simplifying it. You ever had somebody try to explain to you how a computer works? It's ridiculous. And, and and within 13 seconds, I'm like, I'm out. I checked out. Sure, RAMs, gigabytes, got it. Got it all, fine. Can you just get me back on the internet? I gotta check my Facebook. Like... or. I'm not really car savvy. For those of you guys who go operate on cars, you're basically magicians to me. Like, I don't know how you do it and and, and how you understand how these things work. I mean, I, I took gas engines in high school and I know pistons and valves and drive trains and things. like. I, I understand part of it. But like, you go and, and people are like, oh yeah, they hear a noise. They're like, oh yeah, that's your you know your rotary girder and it's just this and that, and that. And I'm like, well, how do you know that? Like, are you a wizard? Like, that's amazing to me. Um... My mom and my aunt, my Aunt Yolanda, my mom and my Aunt Yolanda, they're amazing cooks. Never have pulled out a recipe in their life. Just make stuff. My Aunt Yolanda will go into your fridge and will make you things, and you'll be like, I didn't even know we had this. Like, how did you do that? Amazing. I'm gonna be truthful right now. I got to thinking about my Aunt Yolanda's cooking, and I kind of lost train of thought. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh yeah mystery so like to me that's so mysterious but what do we do we try to make that uh, more palatable we try to make that um, not palatable more understandable when your kids say why is the sky blue we try to give them a way that understands some big thought in a simple way you know this morning we were getting communion ready and the kids were there Ethan and Ellie were with me and I've told Ethan about communion tons of times but Ellie hasn't really heard the story so she was asking so then Ethan was telling her, and I was like, I was like trying to compete with them, and then I'm like, no way, I'll let him do it. Like, you tell her. And uh, so he's using, you know, uh, Jesus' body is like the bread. And then I would say, yeah, you know, it's unleavened. It has no yeast, because yeast is, uh, you know, a symbol in the, in the Bible of sin. It's, uh, it's a metaphor, if you will. What's a metaphor? Okay, we're off the subject. But there's this mystery, but when the Bible speaks of mystery, it often reveals to us what that mystery is. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, you know, marriage is this mystery, or, or excuse me, the church is this mystery. They're both very mysterious, but let me show you how they reveal each other. But that doesn't mean that there are things in the Bible that we simply do not know now. And what we are going to be, what we will look like, what that will feel like. Whether we'll have the ability to fly. And I ponder these things. Could we fly? Would we even want to? Can we walk through walls? Are they basically superpowers of what we're getting? Like, I think about these things, and the Bible doesn't tell us any of that. And there are those who waste their time trying to tell us what it will be like. And then you'll say, well, where's the scripture? Where's the Bible reveal that? Where's the early church preach that? Like, can you show me some consistency? No, it was, it was revelation from the Lord. Okay. Well, when the Lord reveals it through his word, I'll hop on board. But until then, you go ahead and have your theories. I call that Theorology. It's theology based on theory. I like theology that's based on the word of God. I like the theology that the Lord has sought, he thought to himself, this is what Tony and you guys and billions of other Christians <clears throat> over time, this is what they need to know. And when there is mystery, like what will, what will we be? We can ponder, we can speculate, we can, we can fantasize. Oh man, it's gonna be awesome. We can look to scriptures like in, in the book of Revelation where, where every tear will be wiped away, you know where, where we will be with God and, and we will be His people, but we don't have the liberty to make a doctrine where there is no doctrine in place in the word. If you today if you if you follow I mean, everybody has doctrine. Everybody has theology. It's what, theology is just what you think about God. Atheists have a theology. They believe that God does not exist. So everybody has a theology. Doctrine is just what you believe about that theology. So everybody believes something. Everybody has a doctrine. But if your doctrine is not based on the word of God, you're on thin ice. And the best thing for God to do to help you there is to have you fall through that ice to see how faulty it was. I don't wish that upon you. I just see him doing that time and time again so that you learn. Because I guarantee you have people who are telling you that's not what the Bible says. You're like, well, they don't know. They're not spirit-led or whatever. And then you find out, boom, oh, maybe that's not what the word says. And so you gotta go back. You gotta go back to the the basics, back to the beginning. It doesn't change your status with God. You're still a child of God. You're still part of his family. You're still loved. You're still saved. None of that's been jeopardized. But if your doctrine is wrong, because it's based on something not found in the Word, go back to the Word. I have no problem telling you there's things I don't understand about the Bible. Or there are things that God has not revealed to us. That's okay. I'm comfortable with that. Maybe you're not as comfortable with that. And I would just encourage you, get before the Lord and say, Lord, there are things I don't understand. There's things I don't know yet, or I won't ever know. Help me to be okay with that because there's just things we just won't know. But there is part of this that we do know. What does John say that we will know? He says this, that we will be like him. We will be like Jesus. Whatever Jesus transfigured into, whatever he became, whatever we see in the book of Revelation, that's what we will be like. We will no longer be mortal. We will be immortal. We will no longer be the person we were we will be the person we are meant to be. We will no longer be worshiping God from a distance. By faith, we will stand in his presence and worship him and see him as he is to be seen. We must be changed. Not just, not just in a good habit, bad habit m- mindset. I mean, everything. This body is corrupted. You know, there's a time in a day when this body worked a lot better than it did. I mean, I'm only going to be 39, so I'm not that old. Yeah, yeah, I get that, compared to some of you. Yes, I'm a baby, yes. But this baby hurts sometimes when he wakes up. Hips, and, and, and you know, you're like, oh, and you eat something. Can you remember, like, being at an age where you just like, eat anything you want, and you're like, yeah, I'll eat a whole pizza. And then you're like, you have a piece of pizza before bed now, and you're like, oh, I can't do that again got that cheese on it. Oh man, like cheese is your mortal enemy now. Like don't you just miss like we understand that this body's not what it's supposed to be. There's something wrong. It's why death seems so foreign. When somebody dies as we've seen people die and die and die and die, and it never feels like, yeah, that was natural. It always feels like something something was cheated. Something went wrong. There's a there's something faulty somewhere. This should not have happened, and maybe that's because we were wired for eternity, not, you know, a finite moment in time. So, we're children of God now. We'll be changed into something. We don't know what it is, but it'll be like Jesus, which I gotta say, if I'm gonna be like anybody, being like Jesus is my goal. That will alienate us from the world just by joining Team Jesus. There are Christians who alienate... (laughs) the world from themselves by their actions, and that's not what I'm speaking of. When you act deplorable and people respond to you by your deplorableness, they are acting appropriately and you are not. All right. Is that all right, Levi? I didn't get a thumbs up. All right, we'll we'll carry on. I'm talking about just the fact that you now belong to Jesus now alienates you from the world. But this reality, this now and not yet, leads to an action. We as Christians, we don't just sit idly back and do nothing. For our salvation, yes, we did nothing. Jesus, sent by the Father, dies on the cross for our sins. We place faith in him for that. We— we didn't do anything. We get all of the benefits with the only risk being forsaking our old life. But John says for those who now live in this reality, for those who are now the children of God, he says in verse 3, "And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure." I This verse is hard. I don't mean it's hard to understand. Christianity is not really hard to understand. It's hard to come to the reality that this is what I have to do. This is what's expected of me. Purify myself. If I could do that, Jesus, I'd have done it a long time ago. As he is pure, I can be as pure as that guy or I can be as pure as this person, but as pure as Jesus is? The one that the Bible goes on and on about being so perfect, being being every bit God and every bit man, I got to purify myself, number one, impossible task. And it has to be such a good job that I look like Jesus afterwards. Here's the good news. The results are not up to you, but the direction of the focus is. For those who put their hope in this hope, being a child of God, your direction, your trajectory, where you are pointed is now at purity, Jesus-level purity, And you will do everything in your efforts to accomplish that, knowing that your own efforts are futile. This is the life of tension that is the Christian. I know I can't do it, yet I will do it anyways. Because I've been changed by Jesus. I know that it can happen. I just know I can't do it. But that does not change my direction. I'm going this way, and I will go this direction for as long as I can. And there will be times where Jesus will drag me. I might be kicking and screaming to go to the other direction, but this is my life now. This is who I am now. I can't go back. I know too much. I can't go back and be truthful even to that life anymore because I know the reality of who I am. I'm a child of God. Church, you you can't go back. Not, Not authentically. You can't go back and pretend like this never happened. You can't pretend like you never heard the gospel message. It's there. There's that moment where sin became a reality to you. It wasn't just something bad you did. It was like, man, this is like a nuclear bomb between me and God just went off, and and we are separated, but Jesus died for me? Jesus reconciled me to God? Uh, I'm not only cleaned up and, you know, polished up and, you know, put a bow on my head. I mean, I'm not just, it's not just about appearances. You're actually changing me from the inside out. When you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, the people who accomplish this self-purification as Jesus is pure, they're not perfect, number one, but it's the only direction they know to go now. I think about Peter. Peter, what a wonderful human case study Peter is. I love that the Bible's not full of a bunch of perfect people. It's just full of one perfect person. And everybody else fails and fails and fails again. Sometimes they fail. This is my favorite part. In front of Jesus. You would think Jesus is right there. Things are going to go pretty well. I'm going to answer correctly, but no. Jesus, you know, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for sins. Peter's like, oh no, no, you're not. Not if I have anything to do with it. I'm going to, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to take a few guys out. Well, I'll get you out of there. I'll MacGyver you out of that situation. Even though MacGyver won't be invented for two thousand years, I'm invoking the name of MacGyver right now. Like that's the the level of machismo and just braggadeering, is not even a word? Like The bragging level that he's at. And what happens? It seems like the very next minute, like if it was a, a film, it's the very next frame, the very next scene, he's like, I don't know the man. Who? Are, I'm gonna call down curses from heaven because I don't know who that is. Like you're a little too angry for somebody who doesn't, you know, who isn't guilty of what we're accusing you of, Peter. Hey, Don't you just love that God included that in the word? Don't you love that when, when Peter was in jail, he was asleep, I, anything that the Bible talks about sleep like, I'm legalistic about that. Um, sleeping is a good thing. And Peter's in jail, <coughs> And you would think he should be praying, He should be doing He's asleep, so much so that an angel's got to come up and do one of these. because he's sleeping hard. I love that the Bible included that about Peter. I love that that's the kind of guy that he was. I love that it includes, you know, uh, one of the disciples, when Jesus is arrested, it says that when he was arrested, that one of the soldiers grabbed the disciple by, the, by his cloak and, and, and pulled it, and the guy ran off naked. Praise the Lord, you're not that guy in the story. <laughs> like, there's a guy we'll meet in heaven, like, yep, yeah, naked guy, the <laughs> night when Jesus got arrested. Not only was I running, I ran away naked. And we'll get the rest of that story. Like, did he cover himself up with bushes? Or like, what did he do? Aren't you glad you're not that guy? But aren't you so glad that Jesus included that? Because, man, there's hope for us. Maybe we've never run off naked. If you had, keep that to yourself. But maybe we've done something really foolish, like that level foolish. And we're like, ah, I can't believe I did that. The Bible assures us that we're not the only ones to do something that foolish. And that, That foolishness is not capable of separating you from God. I love that. I love that today, you and I, we can disagree about theology, open-handed stuff. We can't disagree on who Jesus is, the payment for sin, those close-handed, doctrinal, foundational things that have existed, not just since the church began, but I mean, since the beginning of time, those things that have always been, we can't disagree on that. But, you know, mode of worship whether pastors should have flowers on their sleeves. Like that kind of stuff, we can, we can disagree on that. Uh, we shouldn't separate over those things. You know, I like hymns, well, I like contemporary music. Well, you're both pretty. Let's just play it all. Does it glorify Jesus? Well, then we'll sing a nursery rhyme if we have to, as long as it glorifies Jesus. We can be different like that, but we, don't ha- we can't separate on such foolishness. And sometimes we do, and that's sad. It's never, it's never a real big Jesus glorifying moment, moment. But those things can't separate us from Jesus. They might separate us from each other, but they will not separate you from God. They will not separate you from his love. Neither death nor life, the Bible says. And death can only do it one time, but life will try every day to separate you from God. Every day where's your eyes set? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It's not why we sing that this morning, but I'm finding now that maybe that's why we sing that this morning. Open the eyes of my heart so that I can see you and only you and move forward and see the rest of the world through you. See, I find that my compassion for others grows when I see them through Jesus. My circumstances don't seem so dire when I see them through Jesus. Life looks different when I see it through Jesus. So your response today. Purify yourself as he is pure. Not for the sake of purity. If the goal was only to be more pure, I'm sure Jesus wouldn't have to have died on a cross to accomplish that. There are lots of people who live a very pure life in that sense of uh, maybe being chased or never doing drugs. I mean, may, they, may, they might accomplish all of those things. That doesn't make them Christian. That doesn't make them a Christ follower. We are now following Christ, seeking to be m- made pure by him. And if you're a, a, a Calvinist or you're an Arminian, and if you don't know what that is, don't even bother. But if you're one of those two things, and you're like, well, it's a choice. Well, no, no, God gave you that choice. Today you must choose, and, and, and God has brought you to that place of choice so that you might choose, and he's enabled you and empowered you to make that choice. And you might be saying, Lord, I make this choice to purify myself, but I'm going to fail. And I think he knows that. He's got to know that, right? I mean, he's got to know that we're going to fail. He's, if he knows everything, the hairs on our head and all that, I mean, he's got to know that tomorrow we're going to wake up sinning. Like, he's just going to know that. But yet he calls us to that place of commitment, doesn't he? It does not excuse us from making this a life verse, if you will. To purify myself as he is pure. Oh, I might fail. Might. That's cute. Oh, I will fail. But it will not change my goal and my focus because it's a God-given goal and focus. Now, one of the worst things you can do is try to do this on your own. We as the church, we're called to all be really bad at this together. Because sometimes some of us are like, yeah, I'm doing it. And others are like, I can't do it. And we come together and we help each other. And then the person who was accomplishing it falls down and we're like, hey, we're up now. Let me help you up. See, if you're by yourself, yeah, Jesus can lift you up. He's good at that. But why forsake what God has given you to help you. Well, I don't like the church. They're hypocrites. Yeah, we are. You know, they just want our money. Well, we want some of your money. Let's just be honest. We wouldn't take up our tithes and offerings if we didn't. We we like having lights. We like having uh, you know, building that doesn't fall down. And we don't have to meet in a high school gymnasium. Nothing against that, but man, we have a building. It's awesome. And the government or wants us to have insurance on it, so we gotta pay insurance on it. And we like doing stuff outside of the church, too, and that costs money. So, yeah. You know, Walmart wants your money, and I don't see you avoiding that place. And they trick you, right? I mean, they pull out every trick that they possibly can to get more of your money. Like, where is the cereal? I, I, but the cereal I always get is always right here. Now it's gone. Oh, but there's this cereal that's more expensive now. I'm going to try that. And they just got an extra dollar out of you. Or where, where did they keep the DVDs now? Oh, it's over here by this other thing I'm going to impulsively buy. And nobody ever goes, well, they just want my money. Yeah, they do. Target just wants your money. You know? We don't just want your money. We want your heart. We want something far more valuable, far more important. We want to team up with you. We want to be a part of you and you to be a part of us. Not in some weird you know, Jim Jones scenario, you know, you still go home to your own home, and you don't have to wear Nikes, and it's just not weird like that. But when you're hurting, we want to hurt with you. When you're victorious, we want to celebrate with you. We had a baby. I got a new job. We bought a new house. Kids are walking. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you, man. Hey, I memorized a Bible verse. That's great. To me, that's another, you're a magician if you could do that. Oh, you memorized a Bible verse? That's awesome. I went to church two Sundays in a row. Oh, are you kidding me? You're killing it, playa. I don't know where that came from. But do you understand? We want to rejoice with you. We want to suffer with you. We want to we cry out with you. And we'll fail at that. But I promise you, our heart's in the right place. And sometimes we just got to get our spirit there too. So we want to do these things with you. We want to walk with you. We want you to walk with us. As we walk in step with the Spirit, we don't want you to follow us into craziness, into hokiness, into kookiness. And not, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to be weird. We're going to be alienated. We know that part, but we want to just, we just want to be team Jesus. And and we're not perfect. And you're not perfect. So we fit. So we want to help we want you to help us. We want to help you do this thing called Christianity to follow Jesus. When, when everything falls apart, we want to be there with you to show you that there's one thing that didn't fall apart, and that's you and Jesus. And Jesus will restore and rebuild and the story of Job and, you know, all these different things, but we want to be there with you. And we can't be here for you when you're not here with us. Does that make sense? The Book of Hebrews tells us not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. And so often that's like the Yeah, don't you gotta go to church because the Bible said don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. But it was this wasn't just a command, but it was this encouragement that there's life found when the brethren gather. Whether that's in a church setting or at Dunkin' Donuts, or, you know, at a craft fair or at your house for dinner. I mean, when the brethren gather, there's something great that happens. And so we want to be a part of that. We want you to be a part of that. We want to help you. We want to, we want to pray with you as you seek to be pure as he is pure. So let's stand. There are people all day long that seek purity without seeking to glorify Jesus. And some Christians seek to be pure so that they can glorify Jesus backwards. Seek Jesus, that He might purify you, and glorify Himself. You get the math correct, things get easier. We're also going to take up communion. That's why Glass and Henry up here—they are our deacon and deaconess, um, and they are going to serve you. I'm going to ask that you guys will all come to the front if you're physically able, because communion's like a family thing. And I grew up in a family where, like, when it was dinner time, everybody went to their own place. Like one would sit on the couch, one would sit in the bedroom, one would go to the kitchen table. It wasn't really a family setting. So we're going to get together as a family. We're going to pray. Now, for those of you, maybe if you're unfamiliar with communion, communion is not magic. Um, we do not believe in something called subway transportation. We don't believe in subway transportation. Now, what is it, Mike? Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. Still got it wrong. Pastor Mike, Pastor of Big Words at South Pitch Chapel. <laughs> it's his official title. Yeah, that, that and Camp Guide. Um, what that means is we don't believe that this cracker and grape juice becomes Jesus' body and blood within us. It doesn't transform. Um, this is matzo that you can buy at Tops. That's where I got it from. It's non-GMO. The grape juice... Was the only? It might be gluten free, to tell you the truth. Uh, the grape juice uh, has extra anti- antioxidants because that was the only one available at the store when I bought it. Why am I sharing? Am I trying to take the, the luster away from uh, communion? No, because if our if our luster is in these things, we've missed the point. If our luster is in this thing, I don't English good. But the Bible tells us that as often as we do this. Uh, we should do this in remembrance of Christ. And Jesus said there's this great symbolism that happens with these two elements. You look at your matzo, it's unleavened. Jesus spoke about how, you know, leaven was like yeast in bread. It, it causes it to ri- rise, but all it does is fill it with hot air. It doesn't really do anything for it. Um, it's, it's scored. You'll see like the little holes in it. It was pierced. It's broken. Bible says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, he was broken for our iniquities. And Jesus said this, this bread is my body, broken for you. And during the Passover meal, that's when this all kind of went down. He picked up th- the wine, it was wine for them. And he said, "See this, this is this is like my blood." Ro, if you have to sit down or if anybody needs to sit, please go ahead and sit. This is like my blood. Shed for all humanity. This is like my blood that will wash away the sins of the earth. And and when you take these things, we remember these things. And when we do this, we preach the death of Jesus Christ. The Gnostics, who who John is is kind of going after in, in his letters, they taught that Jesus was not flesh and blood, that he was a spirit. So he could withstand the cross and he didn't really die. These are essential. Doctrines of the Christian faith that Passover brings us back to. If you're not ready for communion, I know it seems like it's a cracker and juice. Tony, you just said you buy it at the store. But the symbolism of what we're doing, if you're not ready for that, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation if you don't feel ready to do this today. But if you're ready, we're going to pray. And we're going to remember Jesus and what he did. Lord, we praise you. Uh, we hold in our hands simple cracker, simple grape juice. Nothing magic is going to happen, Lord. not even in the spirit is anything going to happen, meaning nothing's going to change it's not going to become your flesh and blood as we eat it. but what is really happening as we are glorifying you through this. I pray that you are Lord, as we take the the cracker and as we remember your broken body, may we remember that that should have been our broken body that 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 beating that you took on our behalf was indeed meant for us but yet you stood in the way of that wrath so that we might be reconciled to you. And that, and that blood that was shed, it should have been our blood. But like so many other things in our life, our blood was insufficient to pay for our debts. So it took more. It couldn't be the blood of ours, or our blood, it couldn't be the blood of bulls and rams and sheep. It had to be the blood of God himself. And so we remember what you have done And we say thank you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord. If we could purify ourselves, we'd have done it a long time ago. We can't, but you can. So we set our sights on you. We set our direction towards you that you might purify us, that we might be pure as you are pure. And may you receive all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead. Church, we love you. You are loved by the Lord. We're doing our best to be like Him. Not always getting the job done, but man, we'll do the best we can until we can, right? If you have any questions or you have anything you need to talk about, uh, I'll be available after service. If you need some time of prayer just here at the altar, go right ahead. Um, otherwise, God bless you, and we will see you on Wednesday, either here or at the Kessler's.